Thank, thank you, Brad, for your prayers. And also, thank you for taking my place last Sunday. We had a couple of busy weeks. We learned something new every day. Sometimes 53 comes after 54. Today, I am going to speak from Psalm 53. But before, that we will read Psalm 53 and also a few verses from Romans chapter 3. Psalm 53, please stand with me if you can for the reading of God's precious word. Psalm 53. The wicked fool says in his heart, there is no God. They act corruptly and commit abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who has insight or anyone who understands. Anyone who seeks after God, every one of them has turned back. Turned back together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do the workers of iniquity not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they were in great dread where no dread had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his captive people, may Jacob rejoice, may Israel be glad. Now, I'm going to read Romans chapter 3, verse 18, 23, and 24. Romans chapter 8, chapter 3, verses 18, 23, and 24. 18 we read there is no fear of God before their eyes and then verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God then verse 24 being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus May God bless the reading and preaching of his precious word. You may be seated. Every time I read Romans chapter 3, at the end of verse 18 and then verse 23, I want to say, thank God. 
it did not stop there. Thank God it, it did not stop there. Because in verse 24 we read, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now we will be going back to 53. Psalm 53. This is a very short psalm. Only six verses. Not only that, two weeks ago Chris spoke on Psalm 52. He covered most of the historical context. Then I was looking at Psalm 14 in the archives. Then I found out in 2019 when this church became Lakewood Bible Chapel, Damon Stage from LBC came and spoke on chapter 14. You know, Psalm 53 and Psalm 14 is almost the same. There are a few minor differences. So you might be thinking, since this is a very short psalm, that will be great. Thomas will be stopping real early today. If you think I am going to stop real early, let me remind you, please don't count on it. (laughs) I am not used to that. Not only that, we have so many things, so many precious truths to unpack in this psalm of only six verses. Repetition is a great thing. Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and then Romans chapter 3 where most, some of these verses are quoted. So it is important. We look at some of those special truths this morning. As David writes Psalm 53, he is living in a time when the nation of Israel was living in constant threat of attack from those who were opposed to God and his people. And as David lives through these threats of attacks, he is considering the enemy. He describes those who are opposed to God and the condition of their hearts. Hearts that are corrupt and will never turn to God on their own. They will never. In Psalm 53, we have one of the clearest statements in Scripture on the condition of mankind apart from God. It is also an important reminder of our own hearts 
our own condition before we knew Christ or when we were without Christ. If I have to pick a time or an incident in David's life when the psalm was written I will go with the incident in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. I know my brother Chris spoke on it. I listened to that message even though I wasn't here. And the wicked man Doeg and the Edomite who killed the 85 priests and their families. This man acted as if he had no accountability to God. Some people see the context in 1 Samuel chapter 25 where we see the wicked Nabal whose name means fool. When I was thinking about that name I couldn't believe his parents gave that name to their son. Maybe it is a nickname he called later on. But even though he was a fool, I don't think he was was stupid. Because he found a good wife, Abigail. Maybe it was an arranged marriage. His, His parents arranged it. I was just thinking... And also I want to mention one thing. This is a forward pointing, future looking psalm, especially if you look at the last part of the psalm. Forward pointing and future looking. This psalm starts with the real bad news. In fact, there are lots of bad news. But it ends with Good news. Very good news. Before we consider the words of this psalm, I like to share with you an illustration which, are, which I am sure some of you might have heard many times in many forms. It is not my making. Imagine a doctor who discovers that one of his patients has cancer. This doctor called his patient and is sent into different places to get the x-ray and do some blood work and some scans, everything. Then he called the patient back into his office and told that patient, Take all your regular medication. Watch what you eat. And keep doing your exercise. You are doing great. You will be 
just fine. Because this doctor did not want to upset the patient. He wanted the patient to leave his office feeling good, feeling great. He did not want to tell him that he has cancer. Let me ask you something. How has this doctor served this patient? Did he serve him well? No, he did not. There is a great difference between hearing what we want to hear and hearing the truth that we need to hear. This doctor told his patient what he wanted to hear, not the truth that he needed to hear. This patient left his office feeling good. But Psalm 53 tells us, just like Psalm 14, the truth, even though it is bad news, the truth that every human being needs to hear. That's what we read in Psalm 53. These days we can see a lot of politicians, people in leadership, even in some pastors, even in those so-called churches, want to make the people feel good. Feel good messages. One such pastor even said, 99.9% of the people are good people. Well, I'm not going to go there because I know somebody who can tell this 100 times better than me. So you can check it out later on. And the same people will say, oh, there are some good Hindus. There are some good Muslims that we will see in heaven. Based on God's word, let me tell you. And the answer is no, unless they accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Doesn't matter how good they are. Even if it is Mother Teresa, it didn't make any difference. If she did not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, sorry to say, she won't be there. That's what I believe based on God's word. God has made a spiritual diagnosis of man's heart. That's not better than what the doctor did. He did a spiritual diagnosis of man's heart and his spiritual health in Psalm 53 verses 1 to 3. We can see the same thing Psalm 14 verses 1 to 3 and also in Romans chapter 3. While you may say David wrote the psalm 
Yes, he wrote the psalm, but he did it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is God's word. You want a second opinion? Please go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 to 10. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 to 10, we read, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can know it? I, Yahweh, set the heart. I test the innermost being, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Dear ones, it is not going to get any better. The heart is more deceitful than all else. In Psalm 139, 23 to 24, there David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thought. When we read that words, it should make us tremble before God. Asking God with those flaming eyes, search our heart, search our mind. But that is what David did. And then, if that is not enough, we can look at another words that come from the lips of our own Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 15, verses 18 to 19. Matthew 15, verses 18 to 19, we read, But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witness, slanders. That's a long list. Dear ones, this is a very dark picture. If that is not enough, we will look at one more. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is, pay careful attention to the last few words. For it is not even able to do so, to do so. Now, we will go to Psalm 53, the words of the psalm. If you look at the psalm, at the top we will see the inscription of, or superscription. There we read, for the choir master, according to Mehalath, a muscle of David. I think before you study this psalm, you should learn the meaning of those words. First of all, 
This psalm was sent to the choir director or choir master. That means it was supposed to be sung by the people of God. It was not supposed to lay on the coffee table. This was supposed to be sung by God's people. And then Mahalath, Mahalath, maybe the name of the tune that was chosen for the musician, or maybe the name of a musical instrument. Maybe it was a tune, or the name of the musical instrument. I don't know. I checked with uh, so many commentaries. None of them sure about it. So when I get to heaven, I may check with David. <laughs> I have a long list. But listen to what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this word. The word Mahalath appears to signify in some forms of it disease and truly this psalm is the song of man's disease the mortal hereditary taint of sin. In Hebrew that is the meaning of the word sickness or disease. That's what this Sam is talking about. Man is sick with what we call sin disease. Which is worse than cancer. As we see it in the next few verses of the psalm. And also, this is a muscle of David. That means it was intended for public instruction. It was intended for public instruction and it was supposed to be sung by God's people. Then Psalm 14 and 53 as I mentioned very similar with a few differences. Throughout Psalm 53 the name Elohim or God is used. In Psalm 14 Elohim appears three times and Jehovah four times. In the other variation in Psalm 53 is verse 5, which replaces verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 14. Now we'll look at verse 1. Divine diagnosis. There we read, in the wicked fool says in his heart, there is no God. He says this because he is a fool. This is the declaration of the fool. What he said did not make him a fool. But he said it because he is a fool in his heart. It is just like somebody is not a sinner because of his sins. 
But it is the other way around. He sins because he is a sinner. The same way. Like I said, this is a declaration of the fault. And this is a very sad statement. He is a practical atheist. Not a theoretical one. Concerning this fool, in Psalm 53, verse 1, this is what James Montgomery Boyce says. There we can see the difference between a theoretical fool and a practical fool. This does not necessarily describe what we would call theoretical atheism. The atheism of one who literally denies the existence of a supreme being. There are quite a few theoretical atheists in our day. But an atheist like this was rare in the ancient world. What is in view here is rather what we might call practical atheism. That is, in the outlook of the one who would concede that there is a God, but who would maintain that God has nothing to do with the world as it is now, as it now is, and therefore that God has no practical bearing on how we are to live or what we do. We see a lot of those practical atheists today. Every day when we turn the news on, that's what we see. He wants to live his life as if there is no God. He does not want God to have any control on any part of his life. In fact, you have, if you have a King James, I mean the old King James translation of the Bible, you will see the words there and is. They are in italics. They were added by the translators. What the text actually says is, the fool says in his heart, no God. No God. That is, no God for me. Whether or not God exists, the fool does not act as if there is one. That wicked dog, the Edomite, did not act like he has any accountability to God when he killed 85 priests and their families. But one day, he will be account. He will be account. Then we read, they act corruptly and commit abominable injustice. The world corrupt as the idea of a rotten fruit or spoiled milk. It, will, it is something that will make you sick in the stomach. That's how God feels about it. They were corrupt and doing abominable things, iniquities. The word abominable is like this. If, if you pour your milk 
into your cereal without knowing that it is spoiled milk. And smell it, how you feel. Yuck. You feel like throwing up. That's how God feels about it. They were corrupt. This is a picture of man in this natural state. There is no one who does good. Man in his natural state or in his depravity cannot do anything to please God or to earn his salvation or to earn God's favor. He cannot. The word corrupt is used in Genesis chapter 6 verses 11 and 12. There we read, Now the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Look at the verb there. All the flesh had corrupted their way. That means... When God created them, they were not corrupt. God said, it is very good. But they corrupted their way upon the earth. Because there God looked down from heaven and saw his creation filled with violence. They were corrupt. They were not calling upon God. Brothers and sisters, that must have broken God's heart. When we look around and see the corrupt generation, that should break our heart too. The corrupt thinking leads to corrupt living. That's what they are doing. There is no one who does good. No one. Not a single one. We see a picture of this man mentioned here. All the people in Romans chapter 1 are not going there. But Romans chapter 1 verse 22 we read, professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Man in his natural state is totally depraved. He is totally depraved. I am going to repeat that word quite often. Before I close. Also I am going to mention. The sovereignty of God. They may be wise. According to worldly standards. But not according to God's standards. We read in Proverbs. The fear of Yahweh. Is the beginning of knowledge. Ignorant fools. Despise wisdom. And discipline. Proverbs 1 7. 
godly wisdom they reject but they go after earthly wisdom then verses 2 and 4 divine divine appraisal of fallen humanity divine appraisal of fallen humanity what divine investigation desimarn here we read god looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who has insight anyone who seeks after god every one of them has turned back together they have become worthless there is no one who does good not even one there is no one who does good not even one god does not have to look down his omniscient he can see human heart he don't have to go to the heart of every man in every house every house in every town every town in every state every state in every country no he doesn't have to do that but this gives us a beautiful picture because just like in genesis chapter 6 judgment is coming real soon judgment is coming before that god want to look and see there is any one he was looking for anyone who understands he was also looking for anyone who seeks after god that is the true god dear ones we can see so many people seeking after false gods these days when i was in india last time my brothers from india they know that there is a place a hilly place in kerala where we come from the traffic was so bad men not only men women cannot go there until they are i think older than 55 or something men go in there with carrying a big bundle over their head no shirt they wear something barefooted in the rain when i watched them we stopped the car and took the picture next day i read in the newspaper this 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 will go on for more than a month 120000 people per day were going to the top of hill there is a statue there just to go and worshiping that statue they are seeking false gods not the real one here he is saying anyone who seeks after god every one of them had turned back in psalm 14 the wording is different there it says they turned astray or turned away 
It says they turned back, totally turned away from him. Because they turned away from the revealed truth. They didn't have to do anything with it. And then it says, together they have become worthless. In God's sight, they are worthless. They are useless. If you look at this passage, we can see the total depravity of man. When we think about the total depravity, nobody, no one is exempt. In verses 2 to 3, we can see two things. It's rich or its extent. And also we can see its depth. How far did it go? How did it go? How deep did it go? We read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, through just as, therefore just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. How deep was it? We read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, And you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You are dead. The last time I checked it, the word dead means dead. Long time ago, a man named Paul Sapp used to come to this assembly and speak. He used to say, they were dead and at the bottom of the sea. You know, I taught a lot of people driving, starting with my wife, my nephews. I used to take all of them to that Crown Hill Cemetery to learn turning. At that time it was open, you can just go. I took one day somebody and uh, in the evening, in the cemetery we were turning and turning. By that time he came out, he learned how to turn the car. But he told me, did you feel scary? He asked me, because I didn't know it was a cemetery at first. I told him, don't worry, nobody is going to cross the street, <laughs> especially in the evening. They are all dead people. In the same way with the spiritually dead. No one in this flesh can do anything to earn salvation. And another thing, we were perfectly content or satisfied to stay right where we were without God's intervention. We were perfectly satisfied, content to stay right where we were. 
Let me tell you. Lord of unbelievers do a lot of good things. They are doing it for kindness. But they are not, unless they are believers, they are not going to, they are not doing it for the glory of God. In Isaiah 64, 6 we read, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Apart from Christ, apart from God. The fall affected every part of our being. That's how deep it was. Our will, our intellect, our motives, our desires, our goals, our hearts, and our bodies. Every faculty of our being. But when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Though all the things passed away, behold, new things have come. And then, I want to mention one more thing before I leave this passage. When God looked down from heaven, he saw a depraved humanity. He lost a lost humanity. He lost saw a people, his own creation, living in sin. But he saw one thing, something else. In his sovereignty, our God saw a sinful race in need of a savior. In fact, that was my title, the first title I gave, but something very close to it, another preacher used it. But I'm, this is what he said. A sinful race in need of saving grace. That's what he saw. A fallen humanity who was in need of a savior. As we see later, he provided that savior. Then verse 4 we read, then we'll, when you go to verse 4, do the workers of iniquity know not know who eat of my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God. They did not call upon God. That means they were lost. In Romans chapter 10 verse 13 we read, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here it says, They are eating my people as they eat bread. (coughs) What they mean, what the psalmist mean by that is they were devouring my people. When we eat bread, we don't think about anything else. It was a normal thing for them. They have been doing it for centuries, for thousands of years. God's people had been persecuted, killed, made captive. 
all these things. But let me ask you something. Is our God taking note of that? Is he taking note of that? We can see the divine retribution. That day, when God is going to judge the wicked, in verse 5, there they were in great dread. There no dread had been. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. And then before that, for God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. Dear ones, God's people will be vindicated one day. It is coming. Every time a believer is persecuted, God's child is persecuted, God, he is watching it. He is writing it down. He knows what's happening. A few years ago, actually 25 years ago, I was going to work. I turned my car radio on. A preacher came and he started speaking about all those isms. Starting with the atheism, communism, socialism, liberalism. Well, now we have a few more like wokeism and transgenderism. And that time, we didn't have too many. First I thought what he said was silly. Then I thought it was funny. Then I thought it's good. Maybe I can use it one day. I wrote it down. This is what this preacher said. Oh, I am looking forward to that day when all these isms will become wasms. <laughs> when all these isms will become wasms. Oh, how true that is. Man, brother, this day, that day is coming. Some people might say, verse 5, in the first one, they were in great dread. They were in fear. Then, he says, uh, their bones were scattered. Then they were put to shame. All these things. Since it is in the past tense, it's already happened. No, no. Because we don't know God's timetable. When in God's timetable, there's only one tense. It's like it's already happened. I will give an example. In Romans 8.30, And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Dear ones, I am not glorified. You are not glorified. If I am glorified, I tell you, heaven will be a broken place. In God's eyes, we are already glorified. He sees me and you today. Right now, 
for who we will be all eternity. That's how he saw me when he chose me in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And about that verse, I have a quotation from John Phillips. The time will come for God to make a full reckoning with those who are persecuted, the Jews and the people of God. The psalmist forces the bonds of Israel's enemies. Blessed by the sun, Armageddon will spell total defeat for the forces of wickedness, which have held the planet in thrall for so long. One moment the vast arena will be filled with the troops gathered from every nation under heaven. The next moment they will be dead. One word from the lips of the Lord are like Sennacherib's host. The armies of the beast and of the kings of the east will be no more. And I believe that is what the psalmist has in mind when their bones will be scattered. Then where Revelation 19 we read 19 verses 17 to 18. Then saw an, I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the bears which fly in the midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of commanders and the flesh of strong men. Dear ones, this is not an afterthought. Our God has only one plan, not a plan B. He planned it. Long time ago, this is how it is going to end. Our God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign. This was the plan long time ago. And then we read in verse, the next verse, Oh, the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Let me make this comment. There we can see in verse 6 a divine deliverance. Actually, according to Hebrew scholars, it should be translated, one who gives from Zion the salvation of Israel. One who gives from Zion. Who is that? It is a Messiah. And also, another thing, they are the word salvation in Hebrew, it is plural, not singular. All the salvations of Israel come out of Zion. Just like our salvation has different aspects. We are saved from the wrath of God, from the guilt and penalty of sin. We, and one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. Israel also, Israel's salvation also has different aspects. We can see the spiritual aspect of that in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 where they will look on him whom they pierced. In Spurgeon comments about this, inasmuch as the yoke has been heavy and the bondage cruel, the liberty will be happy and the triumph joyous. The second advent and the restoration of Israel are our hope. And then, 6b, I'll just mention it, our divine destiny. 6b, when God restores his captive people, may Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. You know, Jacob had an up and down life. One day he's happy, next day he's not. 
One day when he found out he's going to get the woman of his dream, Rachel, the next morning he had to wake up screaming. I hope it won't happen to anybody. In the same way, he was happy one day when his sons came back. And then he found out he would be losing Benjamin too. He said, all things are against me. And then it changed. The same way with Israel, they had been persecuted for so long. But let me tell you something. I am ready to close now. God got them right where he wanted them. When God called Abraham away from the idols, away from the idol worshippers, away from the idol makers, this is what he saw. He saw this. He saw a remnant, the nation of Israel, with their king in their midst. The prince of peace is in their midst. That's the reason Jacob can rejoice and Israel can be glad. In Psalm 122 and verse 6 we read, Pray for the peace of Israel. Dear ones, right here, they can stop praying that prayer. Because the prince of peace is in their midst. In the same way, God's people have been asking, asking God, How long, God? How long? No, we can't stop asking that question. And I'm I'm going to close here. This psalm starts with the declaration of the poor, but ends with a song. May Jacob rejoice. May Israel be glad. That is a song. It starts with the depravity of man. But he ends with the good news of salvation provided by our sovereign God. We read in the Bible in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. God so depraved humanity a sinful race, he in need of a savior. He provided that savior 2,000 years ago from Zion, from Jerusalem. The, the savior came. He died in our place on the cross of Calvary. And he is the only hope for a sinful mankind. He is the only hope. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. He's, he is the only way. This morning, anybody who listens to me, does he know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'll beg you, come to this. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Act to him and confess with your mouth that, that he is your Lord and Savior. Shall I? I'll pray before Paul and the music team will come and close the meeting.
our gracious loving father we thank you for the wonderful savior we have father you saw a sinful race in need of saving grace we thank you for our lord jesus christ we pray i pray for all those who listen to this message near and far we pray that the holy spirit will work in the hearts of those who may not know you as savior we pray in the precious name of jesus christ our lord amen